Welcome to Brains, Bibles, and Beyond, where we discuss theology and worldview apologetics. I am Nate Day with Think Like Christ Ministries, and I'm here with Joel Willoughby with Brains and Bibles. Hey there! If you would like more information about our ministries, check out our websites, thinklikechrist.org and brainsandbibles.com. And if you like our content, like and subscribe and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen. And of course, if you have any questions, please send them to podcast at thinklikechrist.org. We might just shoot you a quick answer or even make a whole video just for you. This is part four of our series, Can I Trust the Bible? And last time we looked at uh, the preservation of the scripture yeah. and kind of uh, some of the attacks on that and some of um, just, you know, how, how that worked um, according to man, mm -hmm. like how man kind of did his part in that. And today uh, we're going to look at um, God's role in it, which That's is right. obviously the most important one. And we, and we did that for a reason, uh, just systematically thinking through, going through some of the objections to can I trust the Bible now to, or really the answer of why I can trust the Bible. Right. Uh, and looking at that for, you know, how did God really inspire that and then preserve that through time. So uh, with that being said, why don't we just jump right into this, Joel. We've got a lot to cover. Sure and so let's just get moving on it. Yeah, I mean, even as reliable as oral tradition is and the other things that people did and how there's all these different languages representing Scripture and they still agree, um, ultimately we do want to come to the idea that God did it. And that's why we have ultimate security in, in the Scriptures. So the Holy Spirit in particular is the one that would superintend Scripture. Uh, he is the superintendent of it. So you, know, you think about what a su superintendent is. Uh, it could be like over a school system or a police department. It's someone that would organize, manage, you know, just kind of do the caretaking. O oversee um, and make sure. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That, that, big, that big overview, right? And so that's the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. Um, he is superintending Scripture. So how does he superintend Scripture? That's how we get our other words. He inspires it. He preserves mm -hmm. it. Okay, so uh, God breathed. That's his job, preserving it. It's, it's not uh, just being squashed away somewhere. Uh, he's superintending it. Okay, so then uh, we have some other cool little doctrinal words, yeah. and uh, I, I like to just you know give out that lingo. That way we can all kind of talk the same. We say a word and we, we know what we're talking about. Yeah, sure. Uh, and you may hear it from somewhere else as well. Infallibility is that first thing. So we say the Bible is infallible. Of course, you know what what's that mean? Yeah. Right? So what does infallible mean? Right. Uh, it, it cannot fail. You know, or you know, fall. If we want to use the same word, right? It cannot fail. And so anything that it promises will come true or has come true, yeah. um, as there is you know, hundreds of fulfilled prophecies already. So um, in fact, what I like to even emphasize is just looking at the prophecies of Jesus in just the first coming uh, that already happened a couple thousand years ago. Um, for all those things to just coincidentally come true uh, would be mathematically, it would be the same as if you filled the entire state of Texas up with silver dollars two feet deep. And then you take one, you paint it red, you throw it back in the mix, shuffle it up, and then blindfolded, on your first try, you happen to pick that one that's, that's painted red. Yeah, that's not a problem. Right, <laughs> right yeah. Yeah, that's a big, big problem there for people that don't believe. Uh, so it's so obvious that this is supernatural, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, and, and that brings up a point, too. So... Um, there, there is um, historical evidences, and we've talked about this before. There's historical evidences that that back up um, the Bible. Um, mm -hmm. 
I wouldn't say prove the Bible because the Bible doesn't need proved, but um, that you know things happen and they coincide with what the Bible says. Yeah. And the Bible is accurately a accurate. So um, you know a lot of the stuff um, doctrine we get from the Bible, like the infallibility, it comes from the Bible. So a lot of people are like, well, how can you try even trust the Bible to prove itself? And that makes sense. Yeah. And, and and that's a legitimate point, right? It's a circular thing, and some of it does come down to faith. Like we believe the Bible's true, but then it's not just a, a blind faith. Mm -hmm. um, there are all kinds of historical evidences, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But there's all yes. kinds of historical evidence. I just want to address the, you know, we're going to read some verses here, and they're basically just the Bible saying, "Hey, I'm infallible," um, and you know, and that's something that's we can poke you know holes in that argument but right, right. on top of that though we do have evidences that you know prove to us that hey you know what we can trust this so absolutely that even goes back to the first part of this series where we address some seeming contradictions uh what i usually find with people is um they find something that looks like a contradiction within scripture and that's what we're talking about here is there is no contradiction right and so mm -hmm. uh, that's why we're using scripture is to show that everything fits and it's consistent. Um, but when it seems them to, to contradict, uh, many times they just say, hey, um, I'm the smartest person I know and I can't figure this out. So that yeah. must mean there's no answer. Yeah, um, right. and, and that's kind of the idea, uh, whether they actually have thought through it that way or not. So, um, And so we, we just want to show how the Bible does declare itself to be infallible and other things as well. Uh, let's go to Matthew 5. Let's go to Matthew 5 here. And so in Matthew 5, 17 through 19, you know, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus is preaching the Old Testament as it should have always been preached. And it has been preached correctly before. But at this point in time, um, you know, you have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you know, the scribes, lawyers, all these different groups, uh, these religious leaders that were being very unfaithful to Scripture. And they yeah. were having their own little oral tradition, and they were putting it even above Scripture uh, at times. And so they were not teaching um, hardly anything from the Bible, or be a little bit twisted, or you know. And but here Jesus is just straight preaching the Old Testament, and he's not saying so and so said this. He's just saying the Bible says. Yeah, yeah. that kind of idea. Yeah. And so their jaws are hitting the floor, like what, what's going on here? Says we have not heard this before. And so verse 17 of Matthew 5 says, "Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets." So abolish is like destroy, right? He, he, I'm not destroying everything. Um, and when it says the law of the prophets, it's a general term meaning all of Scripture, all the Old Testament. Uh, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so the idea is he is lifting it up. He is uh, treasuring it. You know, uh, he was still under the law and everything, the Old Testament covenant and yeah. whatnot. So the whole Old Testament um, that was applying in their daily life at that time, he was lifting it up. And the primary idea of him lifting it up is the the Messiah, who he is. He is completing these prophecies. Um, that's the focal point of Scripture, you know, the kingdom, and he is the king of that kingdom. So then, uh, just real quick in verse 18, it says, you know, I truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass, not in Yoda, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So every single thing will come to pass. It will not fail. It is infallible. That's the claim that's being made here. Yeah. Um, so Yoda, the smallest Greek letter. And so there was the Old Testament translation in Greek, that was called the Septuagint, and then the, the what's called here the dots in the ESV, and there's other ways to translate that, but it's the Hebrew letter Yod, is, is actually properly what it is, which is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So whether you're reading the Bible, average Jewish person, 
from the Hebrew Old Testament or the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Either way, they have the same prophecies and none of them will fail. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the big idea there. Exactly. So that, that becomes very significant. So we just want to see that that claim actually comes from him. And, of course, if you say, uh, you know, if you want to try to find some place where it has failed, uh, you would struggle. Uh, all you could possibly say is, well, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Or you could possibly say, I haven't seen any proof of this. Um, but there's nothing where you can say clearly, hey, look, there's evidence. Yeah, there's no it proof where it didn't come true. Right. So. Which is saying a lot. It is. <laughs> Especially for the amount of people around the world that really want it to fail. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Now, next term. Term number two here that I want you to learn um, is inerrant. Inerrant. So the Bible is inerrant. Uh, inerrant means there's no error in it. Ain't no error in it. Inerrant. There you go. Sounds no, no error. <laughs> so that's Makes a little sense. different. So the infallible is talking about like the prophecies and stuff, and even like wisdom literature. Whatever promise... Whatever is promised will happen. Inerrancy is saying that whatever the Bible speaks to is true. Yeah. Okay. Not it's, it's not even just a little bit of error in it. It's completely true. Um, but we don't we don't read the Bible like a textbook. Uh, there, there's a lot of people that try to do that, uh, but that's not the way you would read it. You know, each style of literature has its own rules of interpretation. Yeah. Um, and so, what did the author intend to communicate? That's the goal of Bible study. Uh, you got to figure that out. And so that's the natural interpretation of the Bible. What did the author intend? Um, so they're using poetic language, right? Um, and so you would have to understand that poetry and how that operates with parallelisms, with one line interpreting the other line and things like that. Um, there's anthropomorphisms. That's a big word. And that's where you hear something like the arm of God, the nostrils of God flaring. You know, it shows his anger or strength, right? Yeah, yeah. And so those are just where you, you give a, uh, a physical attribute of a man to something that does not have those attributes. Uh, so like, you know, the poetry of the trees dancing in the wind, you know. Not yeah. really, but we, we know what they mean. Yeah. They're, they're moving around. If you so. say that, you paint a weird picture, I know what it means. Yeah, right, right. So, <laughs> so you, you, like, there's even, you know, John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You have a metaphor there. We all understand what John is trying to communicate. We yeah. don't suddenly believe that God is a, is a vine. A grapevine, you know, and we're suddenly, wait, we're not human, we're branches, you know. No, 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 we understand what he means. Yeah. Okay, that, that's the idea. Um, so, anyways, uh, you know, there's, well, I guess one more, just you, it's kind of a neat one, the phenomenological language. So, you have the word, like, phenomenon right there, right? There's no way in the world I can say that word. <laughs> phenomenological <laughs> language. Okay, so that'd be like, you know, what you see in the sky. Um, the sun rises, the sun sets. We, we still talk that way. Yeah, um, so it's a sunset. Yeah. Now, when you say that, Nate, are you making a, a scientific statement? No. <laughs> right. I would agree. Yeah. Yes, but no, I'm not. No, not a scientific statement, right? Because you're not a scientifically accurate statement. Right. Right. Because because we, we, <laughs> the Earth revolves around the Sun, not the other way around. You know, the mm -hmm. Sun doesn't set. The Earth rotates. And right. But it's visual, right? Yeah. This is what we see. And so it's accurate. And if you say sunset, we all know what it means. Right. And that's the whole point. And, yeah, exactly. So then, uh, this, I have some other cool little examples of how the Bible is inerrant. It has no error in the truth that it speaks to. So it doesn't speak to everything in life, does it? Not every little individual thing. You know, it doesn't talk about the description of a car engine or anything. You know, it, but whatever it does speak to, it is completely accurate. So here's a fun one. Uh, Proverbs 6.6. 6. 
Proverbs 6, 6. And so here Solomon is, uh, is, is instructing the sluggard, the lazy person. And yeah, yeah. he gives the comparison of the ant. He's like, get with it. You know, just, just be like the ant. Look at this. Well, I just want to look at the one verse 6. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Which is really interesting because it says her. Now, how did he know that ants are all hers? <laughs> now, Solomon was a guy that liked to study things. And so it could be that he did a little, you know, maybe even paid for some people to scientifically investigate this. Um, or it could have just been the Holy Spirit guiding the accuracy of the statement. Yeah. Either way, Either it's way true it's that every single worker or soldier ant that you see, all the, all the ones that are outside, right, they're all females. Every one of them. So when he says observe the, the working ants, yes, they're all females, which is pretty amazing. It is. Yeah. So e either way, that, that's still that's still pretty cool. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, I, I love doing that one. All right, so here's another one. Um, Joshua 10. You know, Joshua 10, 12 through 13 here. Yeah. Um, there's a big context. I love telling the story, but for time's sake, I, I'm not going to got a battle that. going on. Yeah. There, there's it's a, getting late. He wants, but we he got wants more people to kill. Element of daylight, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Wants, yeah. So, so he, uh, verse 12, Joshua, kind of running forward in battle, he sees where the sun and the moon is, and I don't think he really thought about his request. In fact, it's, it's kind of like a command. Like, he didn't, he didn't stop to think that I need to respectfully ask this. He just, he just, he just had adrenaline. Adrenaline, he's in the moment, he trusted in God. Verse 12, Joshua 10 says, At that time Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. And then he says, Is this not written in the book of Jasher? Of course, we don't have that today. No. But, but apparently that was a common thing then, uh, in a trustworthy source. Yeah, everybody knew about it. Everyone knew about it. So the, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. And, and then he gives a comment in verse 14, There has been no day like it. Before or since, when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, the Lord fought for Israel. So it's kind of a cool thing. Hmm. Now, what I like to point out here, it says the sun stood still. Now, that could be that phenomenological language again, where yeah, it yeah. appears to have stood still. That's, I'll, I'll get, maybe, maybe. Uh, but I like to point out that the sun uh, does move. Uh, yeah. it, it is in the Milky Way galaxy. It does move. And so it stops. Uh, so either way, this was something amazing, and it actually did stop moving. It was moving and stopped. Um, so absolutely nuts. Uh, and then, of course, you know, read more about that context later. That's a fun story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God throwing hailstones at people and everything. So Yeah, it was quite the... I think God killed more than, than that Joshua's was a, army, if I remember right. Yep, that, that's a point that's made there. <laughs> he did several things, throwing him in a panic as well and, and whatnot. Um, but here's one that has to do with grammar grammar and so you think about you know the kids need to learn their language stuff and grammar that's yeah. important that's important it is um so let's go to galatians three sixteen, and right. uh here paul is clearing up some major issues with the galatians and um showing that of course salvation is by uh by grace through faith alone right nothing else uh, they're trying to add in the works of the law and stuff particularly one circumcision but um, so here in verse 16 it says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. And so, of course, in English, you would say offspring, and that could be singular or plural. Yeah, just, but this yeah, is going exactly. back to the, the Hebrew language, right? And so uh, even back to Genesis 3.15, 
that he's talking about the promises made to Abraham. That started in Genesis 12. Um, that was, you know, sort of uh, made concrete in the covenant of Genesis 15. And it, it's always named as offspring, singular. And then we have Jesus called the Messiah in Daniel 9, the 70 weeks prophecy there. And then he's called Jesus, you know, Yeshua, right? Uh, that, that comes up in the, the New Testament there. So this is the one, okay, this is the one offspring. So it's very important. It wasn't just, you know, haphazardly written. This was written yeah, in a certain way exactly. for a certain meaning. Right? Yeah. Very, very significant there. Cool stuff. Now, I think you have uh, um, some quotes here, Nate. And, uh, this yeah, is, this is back to ahead. kind of the historical evidence part of it. Um, and, and how we can just, you know, we can trust the Bible um, because of the historical part of you know, historical side of it. Uh, one of the things is uh, Smithsonian. Um, mm -hmm. They're kind of recognized as... Now, how, how religious of a group are they? Uh, from my recollection, <laughs> they're not known for their for their uh, religion. They're, they're not they're not like the uh, class A Christian group, right? They're, I'm no. sure there's Christians that work there. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, as a as a whole, as an organization, yeah. they don't promote Christianity or any other religion, as far as I know. Right. That's important to know. Yeah. Um, but you know, they 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 collect information and they you know they they have a museum and and, and so forth. Right. Right. Anyway, um, so the, the Smithsonian, this is from the Smithsonian. The Smithsonian. Much of the Bible, in particular historical books of the Old Testament, are as accurate historical documents as any that we have from antiquity and are in fact more accurate than many of the Egyptian, Mesopotamian, and Greek his histories. These biblical records can be and are used as are other ancient documents in archaeological work. For the most part, historical events described took place and the people cited really existed. This is not to say that names of all peoples and places mentioned can be identified, which we just talked about a little bit ago, yeah. or, um, or that every event as reported in the historical books happened exactly as stated. Right on. Basically meaning it's the most accurate thing we have to, to, find, <laughs> yeah. to find things in uh, archaeological uh, discoveries. So... You know, if they're looking for things, they mm -hmm. open up their Bible and say, okay, where, where was this at? What was it called? And that's how they find stuff. And it's more accurate than any of the historical documents that they, that they investigate. So anything they ever find only supports the Bible. And, and how do you know where to do an archaeological dig? Well, this is a source. And you say, okay, yeah. well, here's some clues. You get in the general area. Yeah. Cool and find. it's not just a source, it's the most accurate source. Right. Now, like they said, that doesn't mean that every name in the Bible they found yet, <laughs> but they they may still. Um, and when they do, it's just going to back up the Bible will be true. Uh, right. Every single time there's a, a discovery, it just uh, backs up the Bible again. Mm -hmm. All right, and then the other one, uh, National Geographic. Now, they're, they're, um, they're really known for... Um, uh, Christian Christianity, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, yeah, they have they have all sorts of things that would be, um, you know, counter to Christ uh, as, as the Bible portrays. Yeah. And uh, but that's what's amazing about this. And uh, I, I I've seen this uh, before. It, this is the one uh, National Geographic site from Washington D.C. And it was actually in um, in the middle of some dialogue and just asking about the the historical accuracy. And so you go ahead and give the quote here. All right, so this is from the National Geographic Society in Washington, D.C. And I referred your inquiries to our staff archaeologist, Dr. George Stewart, <clears throat> who said that archaeologists 
do indeed find the Bible a valuable reference tool and use it many times for geological uh, re uh, relationships. Geographical. Geographical. Yeah. Sorry. Geographical yeah. relationships. Old names in relative chronologies. Chronologies. Holy cow. Chronologies, yeah. Chronologies <laughs> on the enclosed list. You will find many articles concerning discoveries, uh, verifying events discussed in the Bible. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, so uh, Dr. George Stewart from the National Geographic. Once again, the Bible is accurate. We right. use this saying for discoveries all the time. Mm -hmm. Calls it a valuable reference tool uh, for good reason. And so uh, over and over again, there's things that, you know, they, they, they're reading through this old book. And they go, wow, that's actually what we found. And that's pretty amazing. <laughs> the funny thing is they still don't believe it. But not in its entirety, right? Not, yeah. the, not the most crucial parts. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. They, well, they view it as a history book only. Yes. Whereas us, yes. we, look, we view history as just something that corroborates it. So... Well, now I want to move on. We want to cover this all. We were going to do another part here, but we're going to, we're going to cover it all here today. Yeah. And uh, so not just uh, preservation, which that was a kind of a quick glance. You saw the reliability of it. It was preserved. Uh, man did his part. God did his part. God, of course, did all the heavy lifting. Um, this is the last little section here, the recognition of Scripture. So this is something that's highly controversial. Uh, a lot of people would argue, you know, you, you look at um, the Bible and you think to yourself, well, how do we know that these books are scripture yeah. who, and, who picked these 66 yeah. books to be right. my bible right what about something like the book of enoch or the gospel of thomas or you yeah. know what whatever else there's, there's lots of the maccabees books and everything there's all sorts of other books out there um why are those not considered scripture and why are these and there's what i've found is there's so many uh misconceptions so much misinformation about this and so I really wanted to make sure we touched on this yeah. uh, to give some accuracy here. Um, so I, I have three misconceptions here. Uh, the first one, it is thought that church councils determined what was scripture. Like in other words, for thousands of years for the Old Testament or for you know a couple centuries for the New Testament, um, no one had a clue. And then all of a sudden, these great guys, yeah. you know, who really weren't all that great sometimes. Three, um, four hundred years after Jesus. <laughs> right, right. And they're like, oh, hey, let's get together and decide what the Bible is. Yeah, this would be, this would be like fourth century. Yeah. Um, a bit late. And uh, they would be saying, this is what it is. And so that's commonly passed off as truth. Yeah, like, we like hear that all truth. the time. Yeah. I've, I've, been, I've heard that in some form or other my whole life. You know, that these guys around 350-something-ish... Decided, right. hey, this is our Bible. A small group of random leaders in one part of the earth decide for the entire earth, for all of time, what is scripture. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, and can you imagine the other cultures um, that would hear news and go, oh, I guess we're going to change our mind about everything. <laughs> yeah. And, and then as they kept coming up with different canons of scripture... They would go, oh, let's change it again. No way. This is not yeah, happening. Yeah. Okay, anyway. So how So how did we get... Well, I got two more misconceptions. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, yeah, so then go for it. It, it is thought that the prevailing denomination of Christianity from a specific time period decided what was Scripture. That's another part. It wasn't just like all these church leaders from all these different, you know, schools of thoughts and stuff. It was one denomination, um, and that would that would determine everything for everyone else. Now, how do you think that works? Like, even think about today with the different denominations. What if one denomination rose up and said, I declare that this is scripture for everybody? 
you think all the other denominations would just go, okay. <laughs> no, no. That's not going to happen. No. Um, so, yeah, so the third one, both of these things are false, okay, uh, just kind of like layered these through there. Um, there. There could be some very scary conclusions from that. So it's like a, a two misconceptions that really actually develop into all sorts of other things. If you really let that, you know, to its logical end, you just let that run, it's yeah, not good. Yeah. Okay, so, so I guess there's only two misconceptions, really, but then all the rest are just ramifications of those things. Okay, sure. So what's reality? Let's jump into this real quick. <laughs> scripture has always, and, and I'm going to have some evidences for this, okay, but Scripture has always been validated upon reception. So that means sometimes it was first spoken, right? Other times it was first written. So it would be a letter that was written to church and passed around, or it was someone like Moses just speaking to Israel, right? Yeah. Uh, it, that's how the prophets operated, and then it was written down later. Uh, so it, it could be either either situation. When Scripture was received, it was validated right then. They knew, they recognized universally within that body that this is the Word, word of God. Yeah. And so that's super important to know that that had happened historically. Um, so another thing, uh, we can see the recognition of Scripture even in the New Testament before it was completed. Uh, the Old Testament as well. Um, and so you see them actually talking about Scripture yeah. in different parts. So there was, it's very, I just want to make a very clear point here. There was never any doubt of what was Scripture outside of some smaller books for a, a limited amount of time as they weren't used as much. Okay, sure. and so we can relate to that. You know, there's certain books of the Bible. As an example, yeah. What would that have been? So something like Esther, okay. maybe would have been debatable or something. Um, it was not used as much, and uh, it actually is very significant. Um, that would, you yeah, know, that'd be cool to actually do a thing on uh, how Esther is scripture. That'd be like a whole episode because uh, you know the, the accusation is you know God's never mentioned um, and things like that. So. Uh, but I would love to actually uh, come to the rescue there. Um, and, and so, you know, you think about something like, over time, Leviticus wasn't so used. I mean, look at the corruption of the temple leadership and things, even. They weren't looking at Leviticus. Yeah, yeah, not at all. They certainly weren't applying it to their life. <laughs> right. <laughs> over and over, in the kings, you know, finally you have a good king, and what does he do? He finds They find the, the Bible. The yes. <laughs> they find it. Hey, um, it's hey the, what's, this, what's <laughs> this thing I found in the law? I don't know. Right, we should right. read it and find out. Hold on a second. Yeah. That's it, what it says. <laughs> we got to change some stuff. <laughs> and that's exactly what they do. Yeah. And, and they always, the first thing they did is they cleared out idolatry. And, yeah. And think, yeah. First thing, you start chopping down some idols. And so, but you, can you imagine though that when everyone's uneducated in the Bible because they just lock it away, just have to do their own thing? Well, you can't just learn that overnight. You know, the first five books of the Bible, there's a lot there. You can't just overnight, you know, go okay, you know. But there was always pockets of people that were faithful and they, they would yeah. understand things. And it's interesting how that all works. But um, they always had it. They never lost it. And they recognized it to be scripture. So the canon. Let's talk about that. Um, so this this word canon. Um, actually came from, you know, different language, and uh, we just kind of use this, the letters in English to make up a word so it sounds the same. Canon, okay. <laughs> um, but it would, it would have been used, you know, like Greek, Latin, that kind of thing. Um, it, the word actually meant measuring rod. It, right. it came to mean like a norm or a rule. Okay. So there were times that people would get together and they would develop rules for systems. Sure. And those were canons. Makes sense. Yeah. You know, it, which, you know, we have those today and different things. Like, we have rules of interpretation for our Bible. Like, right. you know, there's certain things like if you're reading your Bible, you should follow these rules. 
Right. So it makes sense. Well, even in a secular sense, you have uh, the canon of Star Wars or something like that. Oh, right? yeah. yeah and, right. and so, and so the idea is that uh, this is the rules of the Star Wars universe. And if you're outside of that, this guy's get yeah. uptight. <laughs> so there's non-canon books, right? But then these are the canon. That means they actually follow every rule of the Star Wars universe, you know. Um, so, so there's a whole, and sometimes things are added to the canon. Now, do you know those rules? No, not not all the Star Wars. Yeah, I'm not, we're not. It's not into Star Wars right now. Um, I like the series. Well, most the old stuff. Okay. Uh, so moving on. Canon was used in reference to an exact set or restricted list of inspired scripture. But not at first. I mean, it was a regular word that was used for all sorts of things. Yeah, right. Um, so it wasn't right away applied to Scripture. Um, so the, there's a famous, the, uh, the Council of Nicaea, or the Synod of Nicaea, as you know, some would say. Um, that's where you first see, like, Christian groups using this word canon. Okay. Um, so Athanasius, he was a bishop of, of uh, Alexandria. This goes back to AD 352. Um, and in these uh, decrees of the Synod of Nicaea, right... Um, they, they used it, and these are the, the rules, or the canons, so there, there'd be a whole bunch of them. I think there's something like 20 uh, okay. in, that, in that particular Now, all these have to do with Bible? Not at all. Not <laughs> okay. at all. I mean, it was all sorts of stuff that we're, let's not even go into right now. You know? Okay. If we want to really bore our audience to tears, we can go through that council later. But, but bottom line <laughs> is, a lot of people think that's when... The, the, the Bible was picked out. They do. And, th and that's not true. The, right? the, the big topic of discussion was Arius. Arius is this guy that came up and said, you know what? Jesus is not God. He was created. And so um, they had a big discussion about that. And Arius <laughs> lost. And they should have had a discussion yes, about yes. that. Yes, yes. Oh, well. No, was Arius there? He was. Okay. Yeah, well, um, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, as far as, yeah. Well, they that was the discussed whole... him in front of him. I, I, I'm pretty sure he <laughs> was there. And uh, maybe I, may, I could be wrong about that part, but at least the discussion was about okay. him and his teaching, so uh, for sure. Okay, so then um, we, we, we go up to um, the, the next church council here, that you know, major in ways, Laodicea, um, and that was in AD 363. And uh, now there, canon was widely used uh, as well. And here it actually did, um, it actually did refer to Scripture. Okay. It was it was one of the canons. So remember, canon is just a rule. So it, it was talking about all sorts of things, but now they're actually saying, "Hey, let's." There's been some argument about what is and isn't scripture. So let's finalize this thing. Okay, so this is sure. a group of like 30 dudes that are in a localized area that decided to have a debate on the subject. In no way is this universally accepted. They're, 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 and then they kept changing it, too. They sure. kept changing it. So there's books like, you know, like I mentioned Esther, there's James, there's Ezekiel. There's a couple others that um, there's, there's been argument about, uh, in which I, you know, it's, it's a matter of ignorance, really. They definitely are scripture, but, um, and that'd be cool to talk about another time, too. But, <laughs> so then um, we have uh, these three major rules that, uh, make up the, the can they're canons, right? These okay. are the rules of what scripture is. Alright. Okay, so now remember though that this came afterward. Okay. So we already recognize what scripture is, but now this is coming afterward. And it, it I like it though. I like it though. It, it's pretty good. It simplifies things. I think you just have a, a couple of hiccups in a couple of places because of it. 
and that's why there's debate now over some books is because of these rules. Okay. But it the gives rules you a, came after we recognized yes. the books. Okay. Absolutely. After all of it was written, centuries after all the scripture was written and accepted, <laughs> they decided to make rules about what is scripture. So it's more like observations of of the scripture. So the first one it has to be divinely sourced. Okay. okay? So um, it, it has to be there, there must be someone with direct contact with God, think prophet or apostle, okay? Sure. Uh, or someone closely tied with such a person. So you get the first hand. So you know, like Luke, like right? Luke. Yeah, yeah, like Luke. Yeah, he'd be a good example. You got the first hand, you know, information from the apostle. It's one of those or things where it's hanging like, out with him. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it has to be divinely sourced, and they're like, oh, what about Luke? We know Luke's scripture. Yeah. Uh, how do we make this work? You know, so these are just observations after the fact. So the original readers, listeners, I mean, they recognized the power of God and that the, the book was, was from God. Um, but anyways, so the, the second rule, it must be consistent. This is actually super important. Yeah. It must be truthful and without contradiction to other scripture. Yeah, must makes be. sense. Uh, and we have 66 books that, that do fit that model. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, the third one, universal, so has to be widely accepted by believers. Okay, now there's always... Some weirdo somewhere, right? But when we say widely, we're talking the overwhelming majority people that have been confirmed to be believers, not mm -hmm. just pretending. Uh, certain times it was politically cool to be a Christian or something like that, and so you'd have these unbelievers even in the church. So this goes back to the point we, that you've already made: the the Bible is already recognized, and so when they made that rule, why they why they accepted? Well, we already right. got we already got the books that why they accepted. There we go. Yes. <laughs> And so that's why they have that rule. Yeah. Is because they were widely accepted. Yeah. So in other words, it's against the idea of someone finding some weird book in a cave somewhere that has nothing to do with what has been understood as scripture for all time. Yeah. And it wouldn't just suddenly be scripture. And then in fact, especially when they contradict things. Right, right. And so this would be, you know, the idea of preservation of scripture. Preservation is not just that it was kept on earth but it was kept among believers. Yeah. Like we would actually have it. Okay. It was it was it was kept and recognized as scripture. So I I want to make at this point I want to make a very important statement. And so I'm going to say it twice because it's that important and I want to make sure everyone gets it. The canon of scripture, right, is a collection of authoritative writings. Not an authorized collection of writings. So it wasn't the council authorizing the scripture. Scripture is authoritative yeah. in and of itself, understood to be by God. So I'll say that again. The canon is a collection of authoritative writings, not an authorized collection of writings. So important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then um, you see this phrase. So let's start going through some evidences of this, okay? So the phrase, it is written. Uh, you see that in many places of scripture, it's used referring to authoritative scripture. Um, so you can just use a website like Bible Gateway, something like that. Uh, type in, it is written, put that in quotes. So it has those three words together. Okay, yeah. and, and you can search that. And you'll see all sorts of places. Um, and that's, it's, you can tell by the context. They are referencing authoritative scripture when mm -hmm. they say that. Um, there's never been a doubt there. So let's go to, uh, let's start with Moses. Let's just kind of walk through the Bible here a little bit. Uh, let's go to Deuteronomy 31, 24 through 26. Uh, it says, When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, 
Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. Okay? So there was a recognition. This is the Word of God, the first yeah, five books. Yeah. Right? Uh, and of course, that's a part of it, right? So I, I think that was something that was added on after the death of Moses. Yeah, I'm going to say it. That's always been a question. Yeah. <laughs> a question of mine. How did, how did Deuteronomy get finished when Moses died? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people think like Samuel or someone like Ezra, yeah. you know, uh, being like historians would, would actually write that in. And of course, they would, yeah, anyways, that's another thing. But um, I do believe that someone correctly someone added that under inspiration. Added, the, added the, the little end. Under inspiration, that's important to recognize. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so then you have Daniel. Uh, this is kind of a cool one here, Daniel 9-2. And so um, he's, he's just kind of uh, telling this, this really cool story of his life. Anyways, verse 2. In the first year of his reign, this king he just mentioned, Darius, um, he says, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And so you can actually go and find that in Jeremiah, right? Yeah. So he, he says in the books, that is a collection. Yeah, it means they had a specific collection yes, of books. Yes, that's a specific, yeah. the, not just any, yeah. the books. And so then then out of the books, he mentions Jeremiah. Yeah. Okay, so that's... Um, so Daniel had, was already recognized as scripture up to that point, which right. obviously included Jeremiah. Yeah, so that, that's, that's really cool stuff. So then you have all of that being recognized. And there was no doubt when he said the books, he didn't have to explain that. Yeah. Everyone when, knew what he meant. When, when you read it in the Bible for the very first time, you knew exactly what he was referring to. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So then now let's go to Paul in Romans. Romans uh, 16, 25 through 27. You have a similar idea here. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. All that stuff. Okay. That that phrase, the prophetic writings. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, so what is he referring to? You know, you notice once again, he doesn't have to explain this. Yeah. This has been an accepted truth among the people of God. And this is even in the first century with new believers running around under first century persecution. He still didn't have to explain it. Mm -hmm. They all knew what was considered scripture, the prophetic writings, okay, um, which would refer to all of the Bible uh, at the time. Now, more from Paul in 2 Timothy 3. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3, of course, um, even in uh, verse 14, there's already a little bit of a mention, um, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and what have, you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Okay, so then where is this? Verse 15 and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. The sacred writings. Yeah. Uh, you don't get much more clear than that. Which are able to make you wise for salvation. And it goes on about all scripture being breathed out by God. And we talked about that in a previous uh, uh, part of the series here. Um, so there you go. All scripture. That was something that was identified. You have the sacred writings clearly identified. Um, so no, no mistakes here at all. Then one last reference I'll give you. Because this stuff's really cool and I think it's super important. Um, Jesus recognized three parts of the Old Testament. 
the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, or yeah. or you could say the writings. The writings. Um, that that would be another way. Um, but those are three established sections that the the Hebrew people would hold to. Yeah. And that would refer really to everything: the law, the first five books, the prophets would be you know you got the five major prophets, the twelve minor prophets. They just didn't divvy it up like we do today. Yeah. yeah and then exactly. Psalms would be a general heading because of how they organized. The Old Testament. Yeah, it'd be a heading for all the rest, all the what we might call the writings. So then, Luke 24, 44 through forty-five. Uh, that's the next one. He says, "Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, and the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled." Then he yeah. opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Okay. So, so it's, he says, it's all about him, the Messiah. It's all about him in, in, in the whole entire Old Testament. It was all leading up to him. And mm -hmm. so there was something established that no one had to argue. Everyone understood exactly what he was talking about. Uh, these are the established scriptures. So we didn't have to yeah. wait till the 4th century to figure this stuff out. No, we didn't. No. So they, no. Were just, they were just officially recognizing stuff that everybody already knew. Well, and they got wrong a little bit. Because they, oh, if you look at that Council of Laodicea, um, let's see, they, they had all these different rulings of what it would be, um, the, the, the 59th ruling of the Council of Laodicea <laughs> declared that only canonical books should be read in church. So they decided to make that a rule. Well, why were some of your churches not doing that to begin with? You know, they, <laughs> yeah, they had some issues. Remember, Laodicea was actually uh, one, you know, the, the the bad church, so to speak, you know, in Revelation three. The lukewarm church. Yeah, yeah. So you see that they they may have gotten a little better, but they're not doing so great now. Um, then the sixtieth ruling specified this canon as uh, the traditional twenty-seven books of the New Testament, except for Revelation. They thought Revelation wasn't it, which is interesting. And then so the thirty-nine the books, the twenty-six books. Of the yeah, New right, right. So all but that, and then the, the thirty-nine books of the Old Testament plus though. Plus the book of Berk and its extended ending, the epistle of Jeremiah. And so they added two things as well. They didn't have it right. They didn't have it right. And then uh, you know, there's, there's more that happened in that you know, council as well. But um, anyways, let's wrap this up. There's nothing available as to the discussions Israel had about how they decide what was scripture. And I think that's relevant for a reason. There never was a discussion. Yeah. It didn't have to be discussed. Just, there was you know, miracles verifying scripture, which is what happened in the New Testament as well. And, and sometimes, I mean, the, the the Holy Spirit just bears witness to you. You know, you read it. Like, if you ever read some of the extra books, they just, right. they're not the same. They don't feel the same. Right. You pull one out, and I mean, um, you know, the last two chapters of Daniel that are in some, some Bibles, because um, Daniel stops at chapter 12, but some right. it goes to 14. Yes, yes. Um, but when you get past 12... It changes. I mean, it feels and sounds completely different. It is different, yes. Um, it's a great story, but <laughs> but you I mean you can tell there's a difference. Maybe one day we can do a little, a little, just a little something on some of those extras, and uh, talk about it so people are informed. But yeah, so yeah, so then you know we have some of the extra books, um, which I don't know if we're going to get into any of that here today. Not today, but, not today. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, there's some reasons why those aren't included. And, uh, um, you know, there's some, some people that still do include those. Sure, yep. Uh, but. Off and on. So, so then, you know, where did all the argument come from, right? Where did it all come from? It, you know, really you could point it to the Edict, Edict of Milan with Constantine, 8313. And that's when there was peace declared where Christianity was suddenly cool. 
Yeah. And all of a sudden it was politically popular and everything to be considered a Christian. And so then things got comfortable. People could relax, which is good. And, and they could study more, and that was good. Yeah. But then what they, you know, as they were developing the systematic theologies, the biblical theologies, they had time to argue. And now they're writing stuff that they could actually keep because Christianity was popular, it was protected, and so now they can fill libraries up more so with, with these different writings and discussions that they had. Yeah, yeah. So that, you know, a lot of times, you know, there, there might be just no record of something that did occur. Totally possible. Lots of things like that. You think about how little we have for the for centuries. Um, there are lot, lots of things are missing, and destroyed now. So it yeah. doesn't mean that that you know didn't happen. But. So I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, hopefully this has been beneficial to you. I hope and, so. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, just thinking through and you know this this discussion of, of how we can trust the Bible. And I'm sure we didn't hit every every topic or answer every question. Right. Um, but you know we just want to kind of. You know, hit it, hit it at a at a high level. Work through some of the some of the more major uh, concerns that come up. And if you do have some questions, don't forget to send us an email and ask right. those questions. And we'd be uh, we'd be honored to to answer those. Comment on the on the videos. And uh, but we are going to be wrapping this up. It's been of a great course, series. I could always do a, a conference at a church or something about the reliability of scriptures and kind of really unfold this and have Q and A time even. Yeah. And that's that's actually a great a great uh, um, tool. Um, if you have an opportunity to have a conference like that, um, you can be awesome. you can um, you know we can gear these conferences any way any way you want. I mean you'll come do anything, but mm. you know one specific on the Bible would be great. You can really dig yes. in some some of those deeper topics where mm. you know some of these things we get to well, which you know we don't have time to right, right. to answer everything. But you know at a conference like that, you got a little more time to. Yep. Be pointed and specific on on topics. Of course, so. you can just ask any question you want. Then yeah, 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 or, yeah. During the I Q and A, run away. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, it's been great. Yes, it has. Till next time. Well, that wraps up our podcast for today. Don't forget to check out our other podcast episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. And if you would like to support Think Like Christ Ministries or Brains and Bibles, check out the donate pages on our websites, thinklikechrist.org or brainsandbibles.com. And if you'd like to sponsor an episode, please contact us at podcast at thinklikechrist.org. If you are listening on YouTube, stick around for some bonus material.